and they caught my eye, and I've been following them. And, and just last month, this church, um, it's the uh, C3 Exchange, the name of the church. Originally, it was the Christ Community Church, but just last just last month, they uh, they lost their building. They defaulted on a multi-million dollar loan, and they and they lost their enormous building. This is in uh, um, Spring, Michigan, I think. Let me make sure I got the name right. Yeah, it's in um, up in sort of central Michigan area. And and the Spring Lake um, C3 Exchange is is almost gone. Um, about 10 years ago, they had like 4,000 members or something ridiculous like that. Um, an absolutely enormous church. And um, it was actually about 10 years ago that their pastor made a very controversial statement where he, he stood up on a Sunday morning, having invited newspaper reporters, I don't get that, but um, and announced that Jesus was no longer the only way to be saved. A few years later, he left, which um, was, I guess, a popular decision on his part. Um, and he was replaced by a man named Ian Lawton, who came from Australia. At the point when Ian Lawton arrived, there were about a thousand people in the church, and it was a thro- you know lots of money coming in, big church, uh, multi-million-dollar facility that they were making loan payments on. And um, about five years later, Ian Lawton did a big newspaper thing. You can watch it on YouTube, actually, where they brought out a giant crane and they cut the cross off the top of their building, and they changed their name from Christ Community Church to C3 Exchange. And and the reason they changed it to C3 Exchange was they said, well, we're a church, but like we want everybody to come here and exchange their ideas about who and what God might be or what he may not be. And so we're a church for atheists and uh, Muslims and everybody. Whatever you believe, you come here and you worship with us. And in the space of just a few years, that thousand folks um, went down to about, I think they're under a hundred now, um, and just Year after year, it chips away and it chips away and it chips away. Um, about six months ago, the, the pastor, Ian Lawton, I guess pastor, I don't know, is that the right word even? Um, Ian Lawton went from a full-time, very well-paid employee to a part-time employee who writes on the Internet for his extra money. Um, and just progressively, he's, he's, you know, this church has declined. And, and ultimately, the problem with this is, and I, I, I followed them. I, I saw the news story about them cutting the cross off their building. And it, it actually made me smile because the cross itself, they, they, uh, I think they were going to pitch it. And um, uh, a mission organization in the, in the same town got it. They showed up and said, well, we'll take it. You know, and they, and they put it up on their building, and they're actually doing quite well. Um, and they were going to replace it, actually, with a world, a heart, and some other symbol that they were going to paint up there. And really quickly, they ran out of money, and they couldn't afford to paint anything on the building. And so now it's a big you know, inspired building with no cross and, well, no people, and now they don't own it anymore. It'll go to some other other group or what have you. Um, I, I think the reason this group has struggled, this church, and I don't want to call it a church, right, the social club, I guess, has struggled, is that that the center of the church is Jesus, right? We're here to talk about Jesus. We're here because we're followers of Jesus. We're here because God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. That's why we're bound together, Right? The church is oftentimes a place where some people who gather are kind of pretty big jerks, right? I don't mean any of you people. You're all wonderful so far. Um, no matter what anybody tells No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, um, but, but sometimes folks who come to church, they're not perfect, right? That's one of the biggest accusations you hear against the church is, well, oh, hypocrites, they're all, they're all unpleasant. But ultimately, the church is a collection of folks who recognize that they're sinful, 
recognize that they're lost, recognize that they can never, ever be good enough to save themselves. And so they follow Jesus, and they're bound together by Jesus um, because they know that's the only hope that they have when they stand before God one day. Um, I, we're not a Reformed church, but I'm going to toss this out here. In one of the Reformed teaching books, it's called the Heidelberg Catechism, the first question and answer is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And when I was in high school, I memorized this because I had to. Um, and the answer is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and it goes on from there. But like we as the church, we are what we are because we belong to Jesus, right? And when we lose sight of that, we go from being a group of people who belong to Jesus and worship together and gather together in the name of Jesus to a social club that sometimes has potlucks. And and ultimately, a, a place like C3 Exchange, which isn't a church anymore, they're kind of a social club where they gather to exchange ideas. Um, they, they go from a group of people that are bound by Christ and progressively they slide into a group of people that just get together every Sunday morning. And really... If I could sleep in on a Sunday morning or just get together with a bunch of people and talk about ideas so I could hear what the other guy believes, I might sleep in. I might go fishing. I might watch football. I don't really like football, but I, I could. <laughs> um, without Christ to bind us together, the church is nothing, right? We're, we're kind of working through a series on the foundations of, of what we believe. And, and the church is sort of the last thing I'm going to talk about in this. Um, what are we as the church? And, and first and foremost, we need to understand that the church is, is bound together by Christ, right? Everything that the church might or might not be, anything you might argue and disagree about, um, we're sinners who follow God because he's the only way that we'll be saved. Everybody with me? I figure from there we ought to have a look at what the Bible says about it. Um, those of you guys who have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 16. Grab my outline, so I'm making sure that I fill in the blanks for you. Uh, Matthew 16, this is verses 13 or ni- 13 through, not or, 13 through 19. Now, is anybody here like a recovering Catholic? Sorry, <laughs> it's in advance. I'm... I've, because you may find this a little wrong, but, but I'm, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and we'll argue about it later. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, real quick, some background on this answer. Um, in the space between where Malachi ends and Matthew begins, right, there's, there's actually a gap. Malachi doesn't end right before the Gospels begin. There's about 500 years that happen in the middle. And one of the things that you find a lot of is the Jewish folks would gather up and they'd say, okay, so when God comes and fixes the world, when the Messiah comes, what's he going to be? And there were a bunch of these theories, right? Some of them would say, well, the prophets will come back. Elijah never died. God took him up in a chariot of fire, so God will send Elijah back to save us. And, and, or maybe one of the other prophets. And there were all these popular opinions about what the Messiah would be like. And, and John the Baptist, who was an immensely popular preacher, had been beheaded not long before this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like this big name. And some folks are saying, well, can't kill John the Baptist. He came right back. Um, 
And so there are all these things that people were discussing. So the, there's some reason Jesus is asking, who are people saying that I am? He goes on and he said to them, or make sure I'm in the right spot, um, but who do you say that I am, Simon Peter? Uh, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because your flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this in Sunday school, I think. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, so what does this tell us about who the church is? He says, well, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Um, so there are a couple of opinions about this, right? If you're, if you're a Catholic, what the Catholics believe is that he's saying, you, Peter specifically, you are going to be the head of the church and I'm going to build the church around you. And then Peter is like the first pope, right? Um, I'm not preaching that this morning. Um, there are some folks who would say it's the confession, right? This would be, um, a lot of Lutherans believe this. What Peter is saying here, his confession that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, um, that's what the church is built on, the acknowledgement that that Jesus is the Christ. And there's some truth in that, right? Like, we're here because we believe Jesus was God's son who was sent to die for us. I mean, that's... Um, but there's a little something hidden in here that you don't get in the Greek, or in the English, because it was originally written in Greek, right? Peter can be pronounced um, two different ways in Greek. Petra and Petros, right? Petros is like the male version, right? Like the masculine and Petra is the feminine version. I think it's like Spanish. Does anybody know Spanish? Me neither. Um, <laughs> it's like Spanish where the male and female versions, they don't mean anything. It just makes it so that the words work a certain way when you actually speak the language. Um, in this, it's not like he, he's referring to Peter in a masculine or feminine way. He's referring to him by a name that has a slightly different meaning based on masculine or feminine. Normally, he would call him by the masculine, right? And the masculine would refer to the rock. Everybody knows that, right? Peter the rock. And it refers to a solid piece of stone. Petros, on the other hand, in the feminine version, doesn't mean a single solid piece of stone. Um, like if you read it and understand what it means, he's saying, like, like Petros would be like a collection of stones that are like knitted together or quilted together, depending if you're born to quilt. Um, the the so the reference here, what Jesus is saying to him, he's like, listen, on this collection of stones, I'll build my church. Well, he's standing with the disciples, right? And ultimately, the farther along you get, what happens is you have all of these people who start following Jesus, and we get knitted together. We become a part of each other. Um, Paul puts it: whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're free or a slave, whether you're you know whether you're anything, like we're all one in Jesus Christ. Because the church, and this is in Jesus' own words, right? The church is supposed to be believers knitted together. We all become a part of each other. And it's on this knitted together unity that we have that he builds his church. And the gates of hell will never you know, prevail against it. Um, now that's kind of a novel reading. I don't know. I, I, the first time I read that, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, but... But are you sure? And then I started reading what Peter had to say about it in his own letters. Okay, so since Jesus is talking to Peter, it's fair to say that Peter knew what he was talking about. Everybody with me? I mean, like, if you're going to ask anyone, you might as well ask the guy who was standing there in a part of the conversation. 
um, what Peter says. If you jump over to 1 Peter 2.5, it's a little more toward Revelation than Matthew. Um, it's a really short book, too. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, this would be 1 Peter 2, 5 to 6. And coming to him, do you need another second? And coming to him, meaning Jesus, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, this is a much bigger chunk of passage. I'm pulling a little bit out, and I try not to do this if I can help it. I like reading big chunks. But have a look at what he's saying here. He says, listen, you guys, who Peter's writing the letter to, the church, right? Jesus is this living stone, and you are also living stones. And you're being built up together into a spiritual house. So we all become a part of each other and we become this spiritual house. Elsewhere we find where Paul tells us that we become like the vessel of the Holy Spirit. So the spiritual house is the church where, where Christ you know, and the Holy Spirit resides. Um, so what is the church? The church is all of us bound together, right? Built up around Christ. Actually, um, the other thing he says in here... Um, he talks about Jesus. This is elsewhere in the in the chapter. I'm not going to hunt it down right now. Um, he talks about Jesus being the cornerstone of the church, right? So we're all parts of the church. We're all living stones stuck together. I don't know. Some people build houses really badly, and you sort of lean on them, and they fall apart. You know, this would be one piece. Um, so this one piece house that's all put together is all sewn together, and it's all sewn together around this cornerstone, which is Jesus. So we guide everything we do. By Jesus himself. So when we say, well, what is the church supposed to do? Well, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do what Jesus tells us to do. We use Jesus as sort of the guideline for how, how we do things. I don't build things well. Um, but those of you guys who do, right, you put the cornerstone down and you run your lines, your strings across, and you line your stones up on your strings, right? And you use your little square to make sure everything fits the way it's supposed to. Um, the cornerstone is how we set our guidelines. So how do we know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to do what we do based on what Jesus would do, um, which is the big problem with C3 Exchange had, right? They said, well, we're not going to be about Jesus anymore. Pretty much believe what you want. Everybody goes to heaven anyway. Um, so when you throw the cornerstone away and you start building, this is the way I would build a house. I would say, okay, time to put a wall up here, and this wall looks like it's fun next. And then none of them would fit together um, because I don't have a, a guiding point or a cornerstone. Um, whereas the church is based around Christ. So how do we identify a church? We're going to move on. Actually, I'm going to real quick plug this. Paul phrases this slightly different. Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ, right? Again, living stones built up into a spiritual house, right? We're the body of Christ. We're all parts of one body. So some people are arms, some people are legs, some people are feet, some people are eyes, some people are noses, some people are toes, some people are the parts that you want to keep hidden away because you don't want the neighbors to see them. Um, but all of us are a part of that body, right? Um, and part of us can't say to the other part, hey, I'm not a part of you. That's, by the way, why we pick the church of God ultimately. The church, the church of God will tell folks, you know, you can say you're a Methodist, but we're Christians. You know, you may believe what Lutherans believe, but you're welcome to come and worship with us, and we're not going to pretend that you're different from us just because you put a different name on your building. You know, we're not going to judge you just because you walk in halfway through the sermon. You're part of us. Um, 
Because we're the body of Christ. One body, many parts. Living stones hewn together. This is the church we're glued together by Jesus. Everybody still with me? So how does this play out in the practical world? Because there's got to be a practical end to this. First off, what are we here for, right? I buy a new tool. The first question I ask is, what can I make this thing do, right? And what we're here for, we go back to our cornerstone, right? Jesus, Great Commission. Um, Matthew 28, you can hunt it down, but I'm betting most of you know it by heart, and I'm pretty sure it's written on the back wall. Um, And Jesus came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By the way, he does not say, look, I'm with you if there's a crowd of you. He says, I'm with you as you go and do this, right? To the end of the world, I'm with you while you do it. So what is Jesus telling us to do? What is our mission? And again, written on the back wall, it's one of the first things I saw when I walked into this building and I loved it. Part of why I love you guys. Um, I'm going to break it down into three parts. We go where they are, right? He says, go into all the world. So you go. There are a lot of folks that church takes place here. You know, and this is it. This is where we do all of our church. And the moment I'm walking out the door, I ain't doing nothing again until I'm back in this building, right? Church doesn't go with me. But the problem is that the knitted together church, the body of Christ church, the living stones glued together into a big, big spiritual house, we don't live in this building. Sometimes it might feel like you do. (laughs) But ultimately all of us leave. And we take the body of Christ into the world, Right? So first we go to them. So the folks that are out there that are struggling, the folks that are out there getting divorced, the folks that are out there that are, that are hurting or addicted or, or um, dying alone or, you know, can't get the energy up to take care of like mowing their lawn, our job is to go out there and, and minister to those folks. We're supposed to find them and do it. Right? First step in the Great Commission is go. The second one is show them Jesus. Right? Or tell them about Christ. Introduce them to Christ. Um, Folks are never, ever going to meet Jesus if we don't do it. Um, I, I have a really rough guess here. There's about 700 people in this town, right? There are four churches, and I can't imagine that we're encompassing more than 300 people. Does that sound pretty fair? Maybe 400 on the long end? Over half the people in this town, just Big Sandy, and I'm not talking about the 50-mile you know, direction Big Sandy. I'm talking you know, a quarter mile in every direction, about half the folks here don't know Jesus. Um, our job is to show them who Christ is, to introduce them to who Christ is. And oftentimes, the way Christians behave, you can't tell that it's something worth knowing, right? Um, so we're supposed to go out and be like Jesus in the community. Go to the lost and be Jesus amongst them, and then make them disciples. What does it mean to make someone a disciple? I, I, there are a handful of folks who've been sitting with Larry for a year now that ought to know this, Right? Um, we make disciples by teaching people how, how to follow Jesus. Disciples are people who would follow a teacher and learn to imitate them, learn to know their teachings. It's a lifestyle thing. It's an everyday thing. It's, it's who we are. Discipleship is a, it's a lifestyle. It's not a hobby. It's not a once a week thing. It's a lifestyle. So what we're commanded to do, the mission of the church based on the cornerstone, right? We do our, our lines based on the cornerstone. First off, what are we here for? We're here to go into the world, introducing people to Jesus, and then teaching them how to be disciples. And we're supposed to baptize them in there somewhere. 
for those of you who are keeping up. <laughs> but that'd be four, and I was only doing three. We don't have time for four this morning. Um, so after that, right, well, how do we show people who Jesus is? Um, I'm going to give you a couple of real quick things, right? First off, we worship. What does the church do? We gather up and we worship. If a church can't manage to gather up and worship, we got a problem, right? Um, there are churches all across. Actually, one of the largest churches in the United States last Easter, for Easter Sunday morning, they opened their, their church service with uh, ACDC's Highway to Hell. And, and the reason they did that was because the pastor, I watched an interview with him, and he said, well, I was lifting weights one afternoon, and I was thinking, how do I make the really conservative Christians in our church angry on Easter? And he was listening to his iPod, and, and ACDC Highway to Hell came on. He's like, that's what we're starting our service with. Well, that's not glued together stones, right? And ultimately, that's not worship. That falls outside of what we are. Um, we gather up. We sing. We shake hands and hug, right? One of my favorite parts of the service, fellowship is worship. Um, we hear God's word. Um, we eat together, which is worship. Like, believe it or not, when we gather up and we fellowship, we spend time as the body. That's worshiping. Um, everything we do that is about loving God through each other is worship. And so what does the church do? We worship. We worship God because he's worthy of worship, not because he gives us stuff, but because he's God. The second big, big, big indicator is fellowship, right? Churches talk to each other. Um, the town we came from, and if anybody from my hometown is listening, I, I hope I'm not offending them, but the town we came from had a church of 4,000 people. 4,000 people. This is a big town. Um, or a big church, not, you know, it's a very large church. And I talked to maybe 100 people who went to that church who told me specifically, I like going there because it's so big I don't have to talk to anyone. How is that the body of Christ? You know, boy, I love being around other folks. I don't have to. Fellowship is a part of the body of Christ. We're knitted together. Part of how we get knitted together is when we go out to the park and have lunch together and play croquet, right? I'm bringing my croquet set this afternoon. I'm just challenging. Anyway, looking at you, Roberta. <laughs> how do we become knitted together? When we, when we gather up and we spend time together. When you guys invite each other over for lunch after church. When you, when you have folks out just to your house. When you just sit down and, and have conversations. When you trade emails on Facebook. This is how we become knitted together. When we share our lives with each other. Which is why, by the way, prayer requests is one of the best parts of the service. Because I love love that we share our burdens with each other, right? And Paul command us to do that, bear each other's burdens in love. Like fellowship is a part of how we are the church. The third marker, right? You know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If they worship together, if they fellowship together, and if they love one another, this is a hard one. This is the one where you may want to watch your toes because I'm bad at this, so I figure other people probably are too. First um, John 4, 7 to 13. Love one another. Beloved, let us love one another for God, or for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God is manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that is a big word, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So one has seen God at any time, or no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and if love is perfected perfected in us, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Okay, big chunk of passage. I'm going to summarize it by starting with how important this was to John. John is the only disciple who was not executed, right? Every one of the other 12 disciples, heads cut off, crucified, all sorts of real bad stuff happened to him, right? John lived to be about 100. He died in like 102 um, AD, like the oldest longest-running disciple. By the time he got to the end, he was so old and decrepit, he would still do sermons because he insisted on doing sermons. And he, he would get up, and he would have people help him get up in front of the body of believers. And every sermon for years was the exact same thing. Brothers and sisters love one another. And then he'd be really tired, and he'd have to sit back down. <laughs> he did it week after week after week, and you got to think these people are sitting around like, really, again? <laughs> I, I have this written down. I could do, you know. And finally, one day, a real young student, right, comes up to St. John, like this guy who knew Jesus and wrote, like, half of the New Testament, not half, but anyway. Um, and he says, John, isn't there something else you could be telling us? Like, isn't there something more you could tell us as to what to do as believers? And John looks at him and says... Son, if you can learn to love one another, that's enough. Um, Why? Because love comes from God. We don't naturally love one another, right? You give me my natural inclination, and I'm going to find a reason to be mad at you. Anybody do this? Is it just me? Um, Look at your spouse. This is the easiest way to measure this, right? (laughs) Because you live together, and you've got to put up with one another. If every five minutes you've got a reason to kill them, you're married to my... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but, but ultimately, like part of, what, part of what love is all about is when you hit that point where love smooths over all those bumps, right? Wow, you said that and I was a little offended, but you know what? I love you. I think I can let it go. Um, wow. My favorite. I, and I really... I don't know any of this well, so... Um, when I worked at the, the church in, in Indiana, one of the things that happened often was people would say, I've been going here for years, I stopped showing up just to see if anybody would call. You know, what would happen if I stopped coming home at night just to see if my wife would call? And then I was mad that she didn't, you know? <laughs> I'd be a crummy husband, right? Because you don't test your loving relationships that way. Love isn't about me, love is about you. Love is selfless. Love points out, not in. Well, self-love points in, but... Ultimately, self-love kills real love. And so as the church, part of how we act as the church, part of the earmarkers of the church, is we love one another. We look at the other guy and say, you're somebody God gave me as a gift. Why? Because you're a part of the body of Christ. Really? Part of the body of Christ? Yes, literally. Part of God's body, sewn into the rest of God's body. And when I get angry at Jesus, I probably ought to let that go quick, right? It's not natural for people to live together. Naturally, people will hate each other in short order and find ways to kill each other. Again, visit my house on... Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. Um, <laughs> and that's why you should forgive no matter what, honey. Um, <laughs> ultimately, but ultimately, this is a part of what the church is. This is an earmarker of the church. When I first started going to church, I was 
I don't know, 13 maybe. And I went to a, a, a picnic where they played volleyball. And the people there were so amazing. They were loving to each other. They didn't know me, and they were nice to me. And I was this goofy, like, awkward kid, and I, I played volleyball with them, and I screwed up a lot, and they were nice to me. And I said, I don't know what these people got, but I want it, right? Because the earmarker of the church is love. We love each other no matter what, right? And honestly, you start lining this stuff up, and everything falls into place, right? Like, if I love you guys, I'm going to fellowship with you. It's the truth, right? I love my wife. I can't spend enough time with her. Um, as the church, if we love each other, we spend time together. If we love God, we worship him. These are natural things that spring out of love. And it's not natural to us. These are things that God gives us. His spirit fills us, and it just goes from there. Um, last thing is impacting the world, right? Um, Jesus said, right, you are the light of the world, and a city, of the hill, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, fact of the matter is, you sit in a dark room and turn on a flashlight, it's going to change the way the rest of the room looks. Am I right? Um, if we live in a world that's broken and sinful where everybody's out for themselves and you light a light in the middle of it all, it's going to change the way that place looks. Um, if we're a church that loves Jesus, if we're a church that loves each other, if we're a church that loves the lost around us, we're going to change the way the world around us looks. I can say I love my wife, but if I don't act like it, do I really love her? It might be a strong feeling, but love is dealing with her when she's sick, right? Um, love is walking with her for two days straight while she's giving birth to a baby. You know, love is, love is these things. It's the stuff that's not fun. It's not the puppy dog love where you hang up first, you hang up first, you hang up first. That, that's nonsense stuff. Real love is dealing with somebody when they're horrible or when they're infirmed or when you don't want to or when it's 3 o'clock in the morning in your soul and all you want to do is quit and you say, I can't because I love this person. Um, these are our markers. For those of you guys who are following along, by the way, in the outline, it's we worship together, we fellowship together, we love one another, and we change the world. We impact the lives of those around us. Um, the last marker, um, and it's not in my outline, but it's something that's worth talking about, is that we gather to remember Christ. Um, one of the things that Jesus commanded us to do as the church, right, that we're literally commanded to do right at the end, right before Jesus goes to the cross. He commands us. He says, when you gather together and you remember me, do this, right? Um, and that was, that was communion. We gather together and we share the Lord's Supper together. Um, this is the first Sunday of the month, and it's when we do Lord's Supper. It's when we gather together and we remember that Jesus died for us. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took this loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, you know, broken for you, my, my body broken for your sins as a remembrance of the new covenant. Um, and when we gather together, we're supposed to share the Lord's Supper. Um, those of you guys who are visiting with us, I think we practice open communion. If you believe in Jesus, you're welcome to, to join in there with us. And as the ushers come forward... Um, to distribute it, remember, like, this is what makes us the church. Jesus died for us. You can take the elements when you're ready. You don't need to wait for me to give you permission. <laughs>